Hey, this is another one of those mobile episodes, but inside the house, because I don't feel like setting up all that fancy gear. Although I feel like a smartphone phone is a, a much fancier form of gear than a mixer and a microphone. And even though a mixer and a microphone are what give a show that radio podcast sound... It's a much more antiquated form of equipment than a smartphone, so in many ways this is more advanced. And when I do record on you know a mobile phone in my house, in my kitchen, I almost feel like I'm going to start doing chores while I record. And maybe that's the next step. Maybe the next step is to start doing chores while I record. Chores while you record. Uh, but I, I just took a cold shower, and about a year ago, I was on a cold shower kick for maybe a week. It felt like two weeks, but let's just say it was a week. Let's let's keep the number conservative. I don't want to brag too much about all the cold showers I took. But I just took a very brief one. I had taken a bath, and I just, I've never been able to find that right balance when it comes to taking a bath. Where it, even if it feels really good while I'm in the bath... It's usually either too cold or too hot, and I usually err on the side of too hot so I can really soak my muscles, but then when I get out of the bath, I'm usually all sweaty, and I don't feel like I've bathed at all. I don't feel clean anymore, so I have to take a shower, and today I decided, you know, tonight I decided I'll hop in a really cold shower. Hey, Batty. I'll hop in a really cold shower. And uh, it was only for a few seconds, just enough to feel it. But I turned it on and just in the past, like a year ago when I was taking cold showers, I would kind of let it get lukewarm and then I would get in the shower and then I would turn it so that it was colder so that I could kind of get adjusted to you know a moderately cold shower before it got really cold. But this time I just turned it on as cold as it could get really and just hopped right in. And it was exciting. I felt like I was throwing myself off a cliff. And I have to feel like cold showers must be a microcosmic... They must be on some microcosmic level similar to what it feels like to commit suicide. And it's not a way of trying to minimize suicide. And I don't feel like I need to give a disclaimer. But there must be some truth to that. Because... Everything inside of you is saying, don't get in that cold shower. Don't do that. And it's different than getting in a really hot shower. I mean, as as much as you don't want to burn yourself, there's something different about a very cold shower. And you do kind of throw yourself in. It's different than stepping in the shower. You have to throw yourself into it. You're giving yourself up. And that's what I think I like about taking cold showers. And I might, you know, I think this might be a good time to get back in the habit of it. I might need to go through this about once a year. It doesn't need to be something I do all the time, but it might be something I need to do about once a year, like spend a week taking cold showers or maybe just throw a cold shower in every once in a while. Throw myself in to a cold shower every once in a while. I think there's something good about it good for you. I think there's something, you know, it's daring. And I've heard of people who have to take them. I don't know if I've ever been in a, I guess I've been at a campground or I've been in situations where all you can do is take a cold shower. 
and that's a little bit different. But when you voluntarily take one and you just have to toss yourself in, it's a good feeling, even though it's shocking. And you're going to live. You know, It's not like you're going to freeze or shiver to death. You can get out at any time. I mean, this time I was, I'm not bragging here because I was only in the shower for, I doubt I was even in it for 20 seconds, maybe 15, maybe 10. I just, I felt that shock for, and I, I laughed. It was fun. I honestly laughed at just, with everything going on, just taking a cold shower felt damn good. Damn good. And you know, it, where are we at? What's next? You know, I'm not too worried about what's next. As far as the world is concerned, I, I'm not worried about the world. And I'm not really worried about anyone. A few days ago, I, I was feeling really low. I was just thinking about just the pain and suffering people are going through right now. And now all of a sudden, I'm not feeling that. It helps that I didn't look at anything until tonight. I waited until tonight to look at anything. And by anything, you know exactly what I mean. Today's date is, you know, June 3rd, or it was. It's now June 4th, 1.04 a.m. But uh, it was June 3rd, 2020. When I say I didn't look at anything today, you can fill in the blanks there. And it could mean all kinds of things, but I'm sure you know exactly what I mean. I didn't look at anything. And I'm not one of these people who unplugs. I feel like I have enough control over... The, check, the great checking of things that we do. I feel like I have enough control where I don't need to unplug. It was just, just the flow of today just didn't lead to me checking anything. I didn't check on, on the world today. And think about that. That was just the natural state of things where we didn't have anything to check on except our own, our self, our own selves, our own little part of the world. And one thing I've liked about the last few months is... I really haven't ventured outside of, you know, maybe a two-mile radius around my house. You know, I got a COVID test at the end of April. That was the farthest I've been during this whole time. It was, you know, in, in the town immediately north of here. Uh, but other than that, you know, I really haven't gone very far. I've probably gone, I've stayed within, you know, more or less a two-mile radius, maybe maybe five but in general, I've stayed close to home, and I haven't minded it. It's felt natural. It's felt natural, and I've made it a point to go to natural areas. Not the parks, not the trails where I know I'm going to run into people, but fortunately I live in a place where you can find woods, you can find places that are, that are natural without running into too many people. And it's... I haven't minded the the lack of movement, and I mean I've moved, I've moved around, but I've I've moved around in a more limited area than I typically do. Because even though I don't really leave town, I don't really leave the Olympia area very often. Uh, I still I will go on the other. I'll, I'll go to the other side of town and go on walks. I'll find trails. I'll, I'll go all over this city in this general area. But being close to home has felt right and good. And I feel like checking on those things is good. You know, those are the things that you should be checking on. And I'm not against checking on other things. I'm not against checking on the world. I'm not against checking your phone, checking the internet, checking the news. I'm not opposed to that. 
I don't like the shame that, that comes along with that or this. I feel like we, we try to, we use too much force when we try to get away from those things. And maybe some people need to do that in the same way that pe some people need to use this force to get away from drugs and alcohol. But I, I heard the phrase at some point, you know, hold on tight and let go light. And I feel like that's an approach you can take to any number of vices. And for me, there are some where you just have to let go completely, but it's much easier to let go than to forcefully push them away. That's been my experience, and that's all I have. All I have is my experience, and I try to take other people's experiences in. Uh, but I won't play the game as Simon says. I just won't do it. Because I don't think that it's... I don't think this game of Simon Says that people are playing is being done in earnest. And I'm not speaking for them. I'm not saying what they're feeling, but I don't feel like it's being done in earnest. And I'm trying to avoid some of the chaos and, and not... Because I love chaos is the thing. But I think that I'm born with an... I think that I have an inborn sense of order or appreciation for order. And I had an experience in, I think it was 2016. It would have been August 2016. Some friends and I were participating in an event. And at the last minute, this event got moved to a nightclub. And this nightclub was used to a certain... It was used to... It, it, I think this nightclub generally served a much different audience... And so we were very surprised when they said they had to frisk us to go inside. And we were participants, you know, we weren't audience members, but we were participants. And so there were about, I don't know, maybe 20 people total, 20 of us. And we were told that we had to be frisked, patted down by security. And most of the people, most of the 20 people got pretty upset. You know, nobody fought the security guards or anything. It wasn't like, I mean, you had to do it to get inside. And it wasn't like anybody was going to do anything to get around that. But everybody kind of made a big deal. And maybe not every single person, but I remember thinking, I'm totally cool with this. I'm totally fine being frisked. And not in some perverted way. Like, I wanted to be frisked by these freaking security guards, but I was just completely fine with it. And I, you know, I'm, I am a rebel in so many ways. And so it's not like I was just like, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll fall in line. I'll fall in line and do whatever you ask. Because I'm not that kind of person. But I found some sense of comfort in the order of it all because we had to line up and they had a process. I think, I, I think that it, it wasn't that I, liked being frisked it was that i saw that they had a very clear process for what they were doing and because of that i just had an appreciation and it was kind of an epiphanous moment for me and i, I remember saying to my friend lars who i think comes from a similar place naturally where i was just like we got inside and i and everybody was kind of disgruntled for a little while most of the people who had gotten frisked were disgruntled once they got inside the venue. But I turned to Lars and I was just like, I like order. I like order. And in saying that, I, it was a realization for me as much as it was anything. And it doesn't mean that I like, you know, when order gets imposed on me or forced on me. 
or forced on anyone else. And right now we're seeing some of that. But I'm not opposed to order itself because I think that order is rare. I think that true order is rare, and, and I don't think true order is necessarily getting frisked outside of a nightclub. I don't think that's the best example of of divine order that I could come up with. But I guess I appreciate just I like lines. You know, when you have to wait in line, as much as I don't like waiting in a line, I have an appreciation for the line itself. I think that's a much better process than just a free-for-all. Like, imagine going to the DMV and not grabbing a ticket with your number on it or not waiting in line. Imagine if everything was just a free-for-all. And while I do like doing free-for-all episodes... I don't like going to, to some place and it's a total free-for-all. And we're dealing with an extraordinate, extraordinary amount of order right now. And that started with the quarantine, the additional order that we have to go through, the order that has been imposed on us. And to some degree that we willingly participate in as we, we've gone to grocery stores and had to wear masks and followed slightly different social protocol. But a lot of people agree that that's a necessary form of order. We might not love it, but we can appreciate that that process is serving some kind of greater good. And right now I was talking to somebody and... It feels like we abandoned a plot line mid-season. It feels like we're participating in a TV show and some important plot line that we were all glued to suddenly got abandoned. But not in the same way that, you know, on The Sopranos there was the the infamous Russian, you know, where Polly and Christopher try to kill this Russian and then bury him in the Pine Barrens, but it turns out he's not dead. And he hits them with a shovel and escapes. I can't. I might be getting that slightly wrong, but either way, they they ask him to dig his own grave, is what it is. But then he he hits him with a shovel and runs away. And then their car goes missing, presumably stolen by the Russian. And you never find out what happened to him. And Sopranos fans always ask, like, what happened to the Russian? But it wasn't a plot hole. You just never find out what happened to him. And as much as we would love to know what happened to him, look at the way the entire series ended. You know, they just cut to black mid-scene. So The Sopranos would use those sort of sudden, like, cuts, like where you never find out what happened to the Russian who escaped. Even though it could have implications on the characters, the Russian could go back to his Russian mafia cohorts and say hey the Italians tried to kill me and there could be a war but it never happens you never know what happened to the Russian you never know if he died in the Pine Barrens and somebody else stole the car you just never know just like you never know what happened to Tony Soprano at the end David Chase the creator he liked that he used that deliberately it added an element of mystery but that's not what this feels like what we're going through right now feels like a plot line was just abandoned mid-season haphazardly. 
And that's what I feel like about this whole COVID thing. And I never bought into it as some form of conspiracy or attempt to control people. Whatever the, however it got created, wherever it came from, however it originally spread, I don't know. But I, you know, I do know that the corona, the coroni vi, vi, the coroni vi was and is real and and not was. People are talking about it like it's gone, and people have abandoned the order that we had surrounding that. The order that we were following, which was thin ice to begin with. You know, we saw how people were protesting that order. We saw how people weren't necessarily following it that strictly. Not everybody was wearing masks to the store, you know, and people can do that. I'm not, I don't, even, as much as I appreciate order, the process of order, I don't necessarily believe in forcing it on people either. I feel like it's one of those dilemmas. It's one of those things that you just have to hope balances out. But you're never going to get it perfectly. But we can see where order has fallen by the wayside very quickly. And it's not about me trying to negate the reasons for that or tell people what to do, I'm just recognizing that. And it does feel like a plot line has been abandoned, but I know that we're not in a TV show. And as a result, I'm going to continue to operate under even stricter orders. And that doesn't mean I'm going to follow all of the, the guidelines necessarily for the coronavi, but when it comes to my own sense of order, my own sense of being, I just recognize right now I need to be sharp, I need to be strict, I need to be as disciplined as I can possibly be. And that's dietary, that's fitness, you know, I haven't gone running in three months, uh, I'm still short of breath from whatever hit me. I've been short of breath since I got sick in March, whether that was the dramatic coronavirus scarring my lungs or what, I don't know. People have tried to tell me it's psychosomatic. I don't, I feel too good. I feel too good for it to be psychosomatic. But I know that right now, you know, I, this is where discipline needs to kick in. This is where my own sense of order really needs to kick in as I think that's the only way I will be clear-headed and be able to figure things out, be able to see my own path. But um, I'll probably have a lot more to say on that as this month continues, because June, just going into June, I just said to myself, this has got to be a month where, and this is, this is before everything started happening. Well, everything's always happening, of course, but this is before the current storyline picked up. And I don't say that to downplay it. I'm just saying that it is a story. And it's the current story. And it seems like people have a hard time having two... It seems like people have a hard time carrying two stories in their head at once, which is why it feels like the Coronavi story was abandoned. 
in favor of this new one. And it's not new, of course, it's come up in over time in previous years. Some people keep that fire going. Um, but, you know, even as May was getting, you know, the last couple of weeks of May, I just knew, just I was just like, June needs to be a month where I just, I really have my shit together. And, and not, it's got to be fun too, because I mean, it's life. I've got, you've got to enjoy your life. And what came to mind yesterday when I was walking was enjoying the void. Because people have this tendency to talk about the void like it is the lowest, worst possible state that you could be in. You're, you've entered the void. It's, it's usually correlated with depression and nihilism, hopelessness. But you can enjoy the void. And if you can't enjoy the void, you void the potential enjoyment you get out of everything else. Because if you can enjoy the void, that means your enjoyment is not, it's never going to be fleeting. Whereas if you can't enjoy the void which I know sounds ridiculous the more I say it, but if you can't enjoy the void, the enjoyment you try to get out of other things is going to be fleeting, and you're going to try to clutch onto it. You're going to cling to it. But if you can enjoy the void, if you can enjoy the bottom rung, which is just that great nothingness, if you can enjoy that and acknowledge the anxiety that it can produce, Acknowledge the the boredom of it, whatever it is that it, the void is to you, whatever it is, when you feel like you're just staring into the void, whatever that feeling is, if you can enjoy that, it means you're going to get that much more enjoyment out of other things, but you're also going to be more willing to let that enjoyment come and go. It's going to be easy come and go. It's going to be hold on tight, let go light. Hold on tightly, let go lightly. I think that's the phrase that I heard once. It's going to be that. And so, in effect, when you enjoy the void, you enjoy everything a lot more. It's not that you enjoy the negative and therefore don't enjoy the positive. You enjoy everything a lot more. And uh, it gets back into that idea of infinite resources, which I just can't really stop thinking about. I can't stop thinking about things in, the, in those terms. And in the way that I used to think about love as a finite resource, it's really similar to, it's as if you were counting all the stars in the sky and then suddenly stopped and said, I've counted enough of them. Or worse, tricked yourself into thinking that just the stars you could see were the only ones that were there. But that's kind of what happens when you think that you only have a finite amount of love to give or get. Easy come, easy go. You know, it comes and it goes. To that two-way street. The two-way street of love. Can't believe I haven't found a song called that to play on every night's a school night. It's probably out there. The two-way street of love. I'll have to, 
I'll imagine it and then I'll find it soon. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Not quite. Maybe, maybe not. But it, it really does feel like that. Like you're either like choosing. It's like, oh, I'm, I, I can only count this many stars tonight. Or I've counted all the stars I can see and that must mean that's all of them. You know, we have a tendency to approach love that way. And I don't think that's the case at all. And, and the more that I'm willing to love and not be obnoxious about it, and it, it might be obnoxious to hear me say this, especially the types of people who may, if you're still listening to this, the types of people who might listen to this might not like that kind of language. But I've searched far and wide, low and high, to find a better word than love. And of course, love is another placeholder word for some for something much larger, a sensation that you feel. But I've I've searched everywhere to find some other thing. <laughs> you know, I've tried to find some other word or idea that could encompass this without having to say love, because love makes me think of greeting cards, v Valentine's Day. The love, pink and red heart industry that we think of when we hear love. And it's not that, of course. And that's a part of it. You know, that's a part of it. And people like those, people like that visual. They like that idea of it, too. But that's not what it is for me. And I think that's why I was able to accept love. And, of course, I always accepted some degree of love. I always loved certain people and certain things. But I was able to love on a much larger scale, an infinite scale, when I realized that, oh, it doesn't have a certain aesthetic. The word love itself is a placeholder word, although I do think there is a power to the word love itself. And it seemed like the... The deeper I tried to dig for some new word or some new idea that would encompass the same things that love does, the more I just ended up getting led back to love. And so what else can you do at that point but accept it? And no longer count it, no longer measure it. And when you don't feel very loving, when you're just when that sensation isn't there, you can love that too. And sometimes that restarts it. Sometimes when you're not feeling very loving, when you let go of that and don't and you're not trying to worry about it or force it, that's what reignites the engine and you're all of a sudden you're loving everything again. And and what that is, is you're grateful to be alive. You're grateful for the phenomenon itself. And the phenomenon, the phenomenon, 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 but uh, the, the phenomenon itself, you know, what is that? In, in the same way that I felt like I searched for something else, some other placeholder word, some other way of explaining it, some way, some, some other jewel that would make me feel more unique or like I had found something or I had solved some mystery. In the same way that I, you know, I took my machete and I tried clearing my own path, and in some ways I did and still do 
in some ways I'm still hacking away at some brush over there that I think is my path, my unique path. But, you know, when I realized that, oh, I'm just making a semicircle back to a much larger path that many people have found and been on, and I don't think I would have appreciated it if I didn't hack my own semicircle path over there, and I might not continue to appreciate it if I didn't continue to go hack in the bushes with my machete. You know, if I didn't continue to try to clear little paths here and there, I might not appreciate the the big, the large path that seems unavoidable. It seems like you just run into it. You just run into it and then you go, oh, okay. You know, this thing that everybody else has talked about can benefit me too in a way that's unique to me and also similar to the way that it's benefited everybody else. And that's really just, it's the same exact process that brought me to God, for lack of a better word. Because again, think about that phrase, for lack of a better word. The same thing with love. I say love for lack of a better word in the same way that I say God for lack of a better word. Because I just haven't found a better word. And I wanted to, guys. I wanted to. I wanted to find better words than love and God, trust me. And obviously I could. But those just seem to be the, the easiest words, and they've simplified everything in accepting them. And God is another one of those infinite resources, and it encompasses so much. And even saying so much seems like I'm minimizing how much it truly encompasses because it encompasses everything. And someone can say, oh, well, uh, when you say God, it, it makes me think, uh, so you believe in the guy with the long white beard. You believe in the guy with the long white beard, the sky daddy. As people like to, to say, oh, so you believe in sky daddy, huh? And it's like, well, you know, the idea can include that. I don't personally see that. You know, when I when I think of God, I think of something that is much larger than a humanoid body with a long white beard, but I think it can include that. And it's interesting when you come across people of different faiths who all use the word God or they have their gods. And there's people who say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm against monotheism and it's, that's fine. But what do those multiple gods in pagan religions, what do they form together? You know, and I'm not saying they all bond, I'm not saying they all fit together like Voltron or a patchwork quilt. But what do those gods as a whole represent? A whole. They represent a certain wholeness. And that is part of the larger wholeness. And so God is basically the largest and most indivisible unit. It's infinite. And you can call it a he. I mean, we have, you know, as, as expansive as our language is, you know, it's also very limited. And that's why I think we end up coming back to these same words and ideas, even though we have different interpretations. And 
You know, I think the idea of God is is absolutely large enough to include everybody's interpretations of God. And that's why in different languages, in different religions, the word for God actually is is actually synonymous. It's just that they have a different language, different letters, different characters, different words, different ways of explaining the idea. And the idea is large enough to include them all. And what better demonstration of that is the fact that it does include them all. Even though people split hairs and disagree, when you're able to take a step back, when you're able to depersonalize it, because the problem is, is that people, they get personally invested in a very specific idea of these things. It's the same reason people reject love. Because, I mean, honest to God, one of the, no joke intended, honest to God, one of the reasons I rejected the idea of love itself, or or maybe, it's not that I rejected love, but the reason why I was reluctant to, to say that out loud, maybe, except to people I was very close to, my family, even I was even reluctant to say it to friends, uh, but, you know, basically, fa- the word love was reserved for family and girlfriends. Those are the only stars I was counting in the sky. Family and girlfriends. They're the only ones who get to hear the word love from my lips because it's so precious. And it is. But, you know, uh, the one of the reasons I was so reluctant is because I had a certain visual in mind. It was a very aesthetic aversion. It, it was because I saw greeting cards. It was because I saw fake flowers. It was because I heard it come from people who I didn't think were being very loving. But you can love them too. You can love people who aren't being very loving. And that seems like the best solution to that issue. If you see someone who's not being very loving... And in seeing them behave that way, it makes you not only not want to love them, but it makes you question the entire idea of love. Well, it seems like just loving them anyway, in your own way. Any way in your own way. Any way in your own way. It seems like that is the better solution. And I'm doing a lot right now to just try to, I'm trying to listen very closely to myself and I'm paying a lot of attention to what everybody is saying. And I really mean everybody, everybody who talks to me and everybody who doesn't, everybody who who says things online or in, uh, in the media, I'm listening to everybody's viewpoints right now, and and I'm taking that in, and I'm processing it, and I don't, I haven't found, you know, I I, I guess like, like something that is on my mind is I don't feel like my path goes through the hot issues right now. It, it's connected to it, 
But I don't feel like it runs through the center of it might be a way of putting that. And somebody would say, oh, you're neutral. Oh, you're, uh, you're indifferent to oppression. Oh, you're this. And, and the problem with that is we have this tendency to assume we know what everybody's role should be. And I do believe we have roles. And while I may not know what my role is, I have a sense for it. And in trusting that, in trusting that sense, it has taken me down a certain path. And it's not the path that I planned or expected. It is absolutely not. Because there is no way I would have planned expected nor even wanted this necessarily and we all have wants you know i don't believe people are that needy i believe they are wanty when we call someone needy what we actually mean is they are being wanty and the more the more someone is suffering i feel like the more wanty they get I think pain is something, pain produces neediness, and neediness is not as bad as we tend to make it sound. Because if you're needy, that means a need is not being met. And if you need something, well, that's pretty damn important. But it's suffering, in my opinion, that produces wantiness. And wantiness is never satisfied, which sounds so profound. Wantiness. Wantiness is never satisfied. But I think there's some truth to, truth to that. And in the same way that somebody who is very toxic and they're constantly complaining, no matter how much you listen, no matter how much you give in return, you'll notice that they never become satisfied because what they want to do is, I don't know what they want to do but they're being wanty. Whatever it is they want to do doesn't even matter because I don't think they know. They just want. And that's what I mean with wantiness. It's when you just want. And I'm trying not to be wanty. And I think by... I think what's given me a sense for the path that I've been on is what's given me a sense for that path has been preaching what I need. And that's something I say time and time again. And I think it's important. It's important to me to preach what I need. Because by saying it out loud, I'm communicating it to myself. I'm creating a mantra for myself. And the more I preach what I need, the more it starts to come into focus, the more it becomes rendered. It becomes tangible in some way. And the month of June for me is going to be a disciplined month. Not that I've been particularly undisciplined, but I know that this month is going to be, as, as far as my life goes, it's going to be an important month for staying disciplined, 
staying in touch with my needs, that positive spin on neediness. And as much as I would love to help other people, and if I find the opportunities, I, I will I will do it. I will throw myself into it like I would a cold shower. Maybe I'll be taking more cold showers. Because if nothing else, taking a cold shower, it's just something that like, to go full circle back to the start of the episode, that that's something that... I could I never imagined I would ever take a cold shower willingly. I never imagined I would put myself in a cold shower. I mean, unless it was like 105 degrees outside, that's the only time I could ever imagine doing it, but to do it under other circumstances when you don't have to. You know, that's just something I never expected I would find myself doing. And so something as simple as that can just even just change your worldview. Hopping into a cold shower, I mean, it can give you a, it takes a form of willpower. And I guess that's why cold showers make me think of suicide. Because it's just, it's something that goes against your natural inclination. You think about, you, you come from warmth, you come from this warm womb and you're constantly seeking warmth throughout your life. The right amount of warmth. You don't want to get too hot. But we generally, we, we think of vacations as, oh, I'm going to go to a tropical climate. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go someplace warm. Most people don't think of vacations as going to, you know, an iceberg, Antarctica. When you think about, you know, enjoying, uh, you know, a nice evening, oh, I'm going to go take a shower. You don't think about having to throw yourself into a cold shower. And it really is. It's almost like you get outside of your own body and this invisible form of yourself grabs your flesh body and throws you in. It doesn't feel like you're just stepping in. And maybe other people are different. Maybe other people are like... Hey, what do you mean? It's just like entering any shower. But for me, it's like I almost have this out-of-body experience when I get into a cold shower, when I throw myself in. Um, but uh, it, it, I feel like it's more of a vacation than a hot shower. I think, you know, you, what is a vacation? It's when you get outside of your normal routine. You leave your house. You leave your area for a while. You're getting outside of yourself. You feel like a different person in some cases. Nobody knows who you are. And if nobody knows who you are in the place where you're visiting, you might as well be a different person. But I think cold showers are more of a vacation than anything. I think cold showers are more of a way to get outside of yourself than anything. And I'm not trying to sound tough. I mean, like, you should have seen me an hour ago. I might have gotten in that cold shower and I might have laughed while I was in it, but I got out real quick. You know, I got, I got out. I wasn't, I wasn't, pre I was prepared to get in. I was prepared to force myself into that shower, but I was not prepared to stay in for a very long time. I, I, it was shocking. Hmm. 
But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be very easy to look at me, the things I say, the things I do, the things I don't do, and say, oh, look at him. Look at that. He, he's self-indulgent. He's not concerned with these larger, important issues that are going on in the world around him. How dare he? Because we do that to people. We, we say, how dare he? How dare she? When people don't do what we want. You know, that tends to be the case. It's not just what someone is doing. Sometimes it's what they're not doing. And when lines get drawn in the sand, it's very easy to say, how dare he about somebody not doing what you think they should do? And you don't know what that you don't know what's going on inside of that person. You don't know what their role is. And I, I do feel that we have roles, and I don't know whether they, those are archetypal roles. You know, I, I don't know about that. I do think there are certain archetypes. I'm not going to get into it here. I've kind of developed my own <laughs> my own system of archetypes. My friends and I, I feel like we have our own types of people that we talk about. And they might be ancient archetypes. They might be the same archetypes that Carl Jung talked about. I don't know. It's more just like, yeah, that's a certain type of person. And in, in the same way that we kind of recognize archetypes in other people, I think that we also have our own roles in larger issues. But we have to figure those roles out on an individual basis by cutting away with that machete and if that leads us to a path that has already been created before and we just fall into it that's one thing but sometimes we do have to cut our way even to get there and you could probably cut your own path you, you know you could probably just spend your entire life like cutting away in the bush with a machete i just like saying the word machete i've always liked that word you could probably do that and then get nothing done and not help the world and and you know and maybe that's Maybe that's your own, I don't know. Maybe that's your role is to never do anything productive. <laughs> Maybe your role is to never help anybody. I can't say for sure. But we do have to recognize that different people have different roles and different people find their own way sometimes to larger things that we all end up finding or we all hope to find you know, like love or like God or whatever it is. A lot of times it's just finding ourselves. That seems to be the hardest one of all. But I do believe that when you find yourself, you do find love and you do find some understanding of what God is. <laughs> This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me 
And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can.